Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Mark Rose Podcast. All right. Hot off the press, I got to tell you, Organifi has a new blend, and it is chocolatey delicious. It's called Harmony, and it is made for healthy hormones. It's designed for women. So it combines superfoods and adaptogens that have been used for centuries to support inner balance and bliss. With the ladies in mind, this blend is designed so you can feel your best and experience daily harmony. It's plant-based, it's gluten-free, it's vegan, it's dairy-free, it's soy-free. It's got cacao, maca, shatavari, stinging nettle, ginger, turmeric, coconut milk, chaste tree. I mean, it sounds delicious. It is delicious. I've tasted it. It's chocolatey delicious, so you can't go wrong. And it's designed for healthy hormones to use during your menstrual cycle. So there you go. Go to Organifi.com slash Create the Love to save 20% and get free shipping. And that is special to Create the Lovers on top of the 20%. So go to Organifi.com slash Create the Love. Well, this has been a long-awaited episode, I'm sure, as you're listening. You're like, about damn time, Mark. (laughs) So I've brought upon my partner, Kylie, for us to explore both the ending of our relationship, the previous container, 1.0, and what and how we sort of re-entered into 2.0, to where we are today, and to allow a little, uh, or a lot of, transparency into that process and just what, you know, occurred below, you know, social medias. I mean, we, I think, both did a really concerted, uh, put in a concerted effort to be as transparent as possible, but you know, we. I also said at the very beginning of our relationship ending that there's a fine line between transparency and privacy. And in order to preserve the sacredness of the connection that you have with the partner, with any relationship, really, you um, have to honor that. And there was parts that the relationship required that were honestly more important than you knowing about them. You know, and I don't think anyone can have too public of a life or too public of an anything that they don't have the right to that still. So it is with much excitement that you're here today. I mean, we live together, but, you know, (laughs) here on the podcast. So welcome. Thanks, love. So, hmm, a mixture of emotions. I'm feeling, yeah, just so happy to be here and excited to share a little bit more about us our journey and all the gifts it has continued to bring. So thanks for being here and thanks for being along on the ride. Yeah, quite a ride it has <laughs> been. You know, they they say, someone says, that relationships are the ultimate container for expansion. I'm sure I've said that, you've said that. <laughs> Everyone who works in uh, in relationships says that. That, you know, that's where our wounds occur and that's where they get healed. And, you know, so much of what's occurred between us, I think because, you know, we're both at moments in our lives where we were really open to understanding our own roles and how we participate in a relationship. Uh, For the most part, I like a little resistance here and there. I don't want to know everything about how I'm not good enough. But, you know, to be able, the fact that we're both open at the same time to that really means that 
your relationship is going to allow you to go to the edges of what is familiar and what's occurred in previous relationships that we've never really surpassed or gotten to. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. If we, if we allow ourselves to go there, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, cause some relationships as we both know can feel like entrapment or like we're stuck and we're in these very familiar patterns and we can't break free from them, which is essentially the mirror of relationship of like, Hey, there's stuff we have to look at in order to liberate ourselves from these familial or familiar, you know, same root patterns so that we can expand and liberate. So it's a both and it's what's the intention in the relationship. Is it just to be comfortable or is it here as a catalyst for growth and liberation? And I think you and I both 1.0, 2.0 have always been deeply committed to, to growth and expansion. But with that being said, we're human and we still get at times stuck in our patterns and we have to do the hard work to break free from those. Yeah. I think about previous relationships and, you know, like you were married before, um, I've been in you know, previous long-term relationships and I remember being in one where I was no longer happy and the relationship had just run its course. And I remember just sort of submitting to the idea that I still had to stay in it, that like, yeah. I'm, what will people think of me? What will, you know, and I don't know, is that a familiar feeling you had in your marriage? Yeah. I mean... You made a commitment. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I made a vow in front of 350 people. It was like divorce equal death. Like, don't even think about it. Like, this is what you signed up for. And at that time I was such a perfectionist people pleaser that the idea of leaving that marriage was a complete um, dissolution of who I knew myself to be. So not only was it the ending of a relationship, but it was the ending of it, a whole identity it was like, let's burn this whole thing down. Yeah, it seems to be a common theme. <laughs> yeah, when I think about the commitments we make, you know, often we fear, well, fear commitment when commitment has led to prisons. Oh, yeah. Right. And so we don't know that we're afraid of commitment because we, it's like when someone says, well, I don't believe in marriage. And it's like, well, just redefine it. Define mm -hmm. it in a way that works for you. And, you know, when I think about till death do us part, you and I have spoken about this before that like, what death do they mean? Do they mean a mortal death or do they mean the death of the identity that got you to the stage or to the altar or to the whatever? And sometimes actually I would say every time because it occurs, it takes you actually saying I do to get just like it says saying yes to a relationship. I, I mean, um, the breakup I went through was very similar to a divorce in that yeah. there was a splitting of assets and all those things. And a lot of expectations and people around you. And, you know, you, you get to that place where you realize, like, for me, that previous fracture was the invitation to first go, why am I here? Like, what am I doing? How did I get here? Yeah. Was that the same for you after your divorce? Oh, yeah. I remember looking in the mirror and being like, who are you? How the heck did we get here? I was so angry, Mark. I was so angry. It was like I was living under all of these roles and rules and scripts that I had never examined nor had ever been really identified. It was just what you did. 
oh my gosh, why hasn't anybody talked about how the unconscious mind works or these scripts we've been given or, or anything that had to do with my internal world? It was like I was walking through life blind and finally I hit a, such a, a rock bottom or, you know, that cosmic dump truck at my front door was like, hey, yo, it's time to wake up. It's time to, it's time to actually look at what's going on within and figure out who you are and why you're here. And the prospect of those questions of like, who am I? Why am I here? Are quite large and initiatory in nature. They're like, yeah, they're not gentle. <laughs> like, what would you like for breakfast? No, it's like, <laughs> yo, it's time. Like, there's no, there's no time for effing around anymore. And I'm so lucky that I had a knowing internally that was like, trust this. As hard as that was, I mean, because I'm, I'm a professional grasper. I grasp as hard as I possibly can to, to the known world. And, More on that. Yeah. Right. Later. More on yeah. that to come. Um, because I'm terrified of, or, or historically have been terrified of releasing what I believe is the source of my safety, security, identity, validation in this world. And if I look back and examine all of my relationships, and I think I'm here to learn through relationships, kudos to us for that, um, and all of us are, it has been a constant journey into releasing anything that is being sourced from the external through a person, through an identity, through a social media account, through through anything, through money. It was just like, okay, it's time to release all of that and go within and learn how to self-source safety, security, worth, belonging, identity, without it needing to be so, so dependent on the external. I I feel like that's so much our, you know, what occurs when relationships end or we experience any sort of uh, disruption of who we think we are, what we're, when we stop doing what we're supposed to do and stop thinking what we're supposed to think, like you sort of, uh, you know, you think of the memes that are like, refer to people as sheep, Hmm. you know, and I think like, when you are a sheep, which is not a condescending or a judgment, uh, but when you are in the automated way of living, you go to your nine to five, sometimes fucking six to 10, 6 a.m. till 10 p.m., not six to 10 a.m. And you're like, work your life away for someone else's money. And you are in relationships that you're staying in because you're afraid of leaving, but you don't even know that's exactly why you're paralyzed. And it's what you said, like, I was so shocked as well when I started to learn about the unconscious mind. And I'm like, holy shit, my unconscious has all these narratives from all these things I've been taught about what it means to be a a man, what it means to be a good person, quote unquote, good, like compliant person more than good, because compliance is good, because disruption is bad. And then you start to see like, well, maybe the rebels are the ones who have it together all along. Maybe it's the, you know, I think now we just throw out the term conspiracy theorist to everything that is sort of anything outside of the general narrative. And that's obviously a more complex conversation. But my point being that when you actually start thinking about how you think, thinking about what shapes you, thinking about why 
you're attracted or choose someone or can't choose someone or won't allow yourself to be chosen or whatever it is. It is so overwhelming, especially at first, because you have, I, I sort of think of it like you're going through a Rolodex. You know, when you look at those books and you flip them and the like pages move and the person's legs move, oh, yeah. right? And I think of you're like looking at your whole life that way through a new lens of awareness that all of a sudden that time you did that tequila shot and did whatever. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, that not you specifically, but my tequila shot <laughs> that you were escaping. You sort of now see it as a form of escape where you mm -hmm. see like what seemed like just like a fun night. And don't get me wrong, fun nights are fun nights and they can just be that. But we start to notice things that are painful to notice because we realize we haven't been fully in our bodies and fully in our hearts because to be there is to grieve the life that you haven't allowed yourself to live because you've been living one you've been taught to live. Grief. Grief is the medicine of our times. I think, you know, in order to remember who we are and, and why we came here and our purpose for being here. And that, that can be as small as being the president of the United States and as large as being a really kind person. And I use that distinctly that way, because I think being a kind person is actually way harder than, than <laughs> being a kind president of the United States. You no, know, just like being a good, kind person, like that can be so enough. And I think sometimes we, yeah. in our culture, we, 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 we put so much pressure on ourselves to figure it out and find our purpose and, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, it doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be you know, so big and world changing, you know? Right. It can like, just be. It can just be so simple. Like I'm a really good, kind person and I'm here to support my community and my friends and whatever. And it's like, oh, great. We need more of that, please. So I just wanted to name that because I think sometimes in these conversations we can hear about purpose and, and like, different pathways and, and utilize those narratives to shame ourselves. And you know me, I don't allow shame in my house. So I wanted to invite that perspective here is like, no matter where you're at, like, let it be good enough. Let it be simple. Let it be small. It doesn't have to be big or grandiose in order to be worthy or enough. That could just be gentle. Yeah. It could just be a small wave, which are always big. They're huge. You know, in their impact. You know, I, I think about like, if someone's like, well, I want to have a big influence and a big Instagram following and a big, I'm like, shoot, sometimes I want to give that stuff away. So don't, yeah, you know, because I, I think in a lot of ways, speaking just for myself personally, I've always, as a young person, wanted a microphone and to be loud <laughs> and to share my thoughts, feelings, and opinions. And I think in a lot of ways, I've been gifted the ability to articulate thought and language in a way that's Maybe as, I was going to say least offensive as possible, but. Offensive? Yeah. Oh, I don't know but, about that. No, I'm just kidding. But I think like in a way that, <laughs> that I keep learning how to be more gentle mm. and more empathic to, because I see how everyone's view is really derived from their own experience. But anyways, my point being that we really trade anonymity for impact. And I think in a lot of ways, it's nice to be anonymous. You know, it's nice to, like, I couldn't imagine being, so I was watching a video recently from Russell Brand talking about what it was like to be a celebrity and like paparazzi outside your damn window and taking pictures all the time. And I'm like, that sounds like hell. 
Like you have no privacy. You're not allowed to be human and make mistakes because yeah. they're all documented. You know, watching the social dilemma recently uh, and them saying like, your body is not designed to deal with 10,000 people's opinions. And I'm like, amen. Like, <laughs> I just want like Ed's opinion down the road or like, you know, a couple of opinions in class when you're a kid. But to actually face what the nervous system has to face through social media, it is so much to hold. We are being asked to expand as a collective at an unprecedented rate. Hmm. I have a lot of thoughts on that, depending on which which way we want to go in terms of our relationship to to technology, status, um, impact, etc. Because I think historically, if we look back, it's like who has held the most power yeah. or influence? You know, we're looking at news, we're looking at celebrities, we're looking at all of these people in the external, constantly looking externally for guidance, leadership, what's cool, what's not cool, you know, even with brands. You know, over the last couple of years, and don't get me wrong, I've been, whew, I have gone down a journey with with needing to be who I think I need to be in order to fit in. What I'm hearing you say or, or like kind of like getting under there is, is like starting to examine who are we listening to? Why are we listening to them? And are we, like, what are we sourcing from that? You know, like even ourselves with our identities. Like I remember last year after our rupture, I I had so many, so many unconscious narratives show up around my relationship to social media and in general of like, just like how the story was being portrayed and Mark's going to continue on without me and he's just going to continue to grow and blow up and all this stuff. And you did. And it was incredible. But man, it freaking rocked me internally. I was like, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a nobody, you know, all this stuff. And I remember having to like really sit with that and be like, what is happening? Because I had this pressure where it was like, you need to be posting twice a day to stay up with the algorithm and then continue the growth. Because I had grown a lot, but it was like, in, like my soul was like, no, you're actually not going to focus on writing, explaining, defending, not even defending. I didn't need to defend anything, luckily, because of how beautiful and sacred our relationship was to us both. But but definitely those narratives popped up of like not wanting to release whatever I was getting from that mm. attention, validation, like button. And I mean, I couldn't write for what felt like seven months. And I remember just going to Instagram and going like, yo, I got nothing. Like I was in the underground. It was like, this is not a time for for looking to that role or identity that I play. And and now I have a different relationship with it. I think I was sourcing a lot from it last, you know, over the last couple of years. And and let's be honest, like we had a public relationship. We're relationship teachers. I mean, there was so much fear around that, right? So yeah, it was really beautiful to step away from the platform and really re-examine my relationship to it, to being as beautiful, to to being somebody. Mm. Yeah, I think about when I first started my Instagram, a lot of the trolling I would get 
I wouldn't even call it trolling, just people with opinions. And they would say, why would I take relationship advice from someone who's not in a relationship at the time? And I would say, well, you don't have to, first off, because you're a sovereign being. So you choose if you want to <laughs> fucking take the advice, take the advice. If you don't, go fucking follow someone else who's in a relationship. Yeah. I don't give a shit. But what was interesting is I would say that's also because you conflate relational success with being in one. Like being sure. good at a relationship means you must you have to be in one. And I think what was interesting in your experience after our relationship ended versus mine, which I really felt I didn't feel a pressure for us to still be together. That wasn't what I really felt was this alchemical transformation of like I'm getting emotional saying this. Of um, I don't even know why this is emotional. Um, it's beautiful. It's allowed to be. I mean, I've already completely lost my shit on Instagram or on my podcast where I couldn't even know. I think I was snot was running out of my nose when I did our post breakup mm -hmm. podcast. If you haven't listened to that one, it's a doozy uh, in a good way. But th that process of like sharing the closing ceremony, sharing. Yeah. So for those of you listening, uh, we did a closing ceremony to end our relationship with respect and reverence and love. And I really felt like it was part of my duty, yeah. like my mission to allow people a camera and a microphone with my approval of what was going on in the cocoon. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was really healing to allow people to witness love continuing mm. when a relationship romantically has come to a close. <sighs> because I, I, I think about when, I'm just going to talk right through the emotion. <laughs> when I went through my breakup at the end of my, when I was 27, I felt like a failure. I didn't feel there was some grace from some people. There was unconditional love available in some places. Yeah. But there was so much judgment and, and so much judgment of self, which really was the internalization of all the narratives I've been taught about relational endings. And I really made it. That was the birth of my mission, which was to, to like hold people in that moment, to be like, this is actually your gateway to everything. This is actually the launching pad. This is actually the cocoon. This is actually the birthplace of you. You know, I think of a, a line from Francis Weller who you introduced me to, his work. And I, I think he was saying to a client in one of his audios, he said, don't waste a good divorce. <laughs> <laughs> and I think about that of like, we feel so exiled 
and and severed from our family and our community. And I'm like, I'll make one mm-hmm. that's like, hey, you're low, welcome. You're struggling, welcome. Yeah. This is not the land of perfectionism. This is the land of witnessing. Mm. And so it was really a cool, beautiful process. Yeah, and what a gift that was and is and continues to be. You. Well, God, it was, you know, without the the love that we have for one another. I mean, a closing ceremony? Have you <laughs> lost your mind? <laughs> oh, it was so beautiful. When's the, you ever do a closing ceremony before? Never. I wish. Right. Me I'm too. like looking back. I'm like, damn, we should have really honored that completion. But instead, you know, and I think this is why I love that you were invited and your path is different than mine. And it's so beautiful, so sacred and so necessary of inviting people into the cocoon. And I was actually happy you were sharing all of that because it wasn't, it was your purpose to do that. And yeah, I mean, it was like, oh my gosh, can relationships, can we start modeling that relationships can end in love, with love, with grace? And there doesn't have to be some extreme reason. That was one of the things that I always hated. It's like, why? It was like, oh gosh. Like sometimes it's not, you know, for many people it is some like a, a big, huge rupture, like previous relationships is like, the betrayal or something like that. And it was like, no, this is just doesn't, you know, for some it's not going to make sense, but this feels like soul right. <laughs> request of like, doesn't make sense. This sucks. And it's what has to happen. I don't know why. And I fought the why, but I can no longer fight what is true within, you know? Yeah. I, I think of a line that, um, after I did my podcast on our closing ceremony, I remember uh, the chef, her name is Yoda, which what a great name. And she sent me a message uh, where she said she had heard a line that you should leave your relationship as you would a house when you're selling it. That you actually fix the windows and you fix the drapes and you, and I thought, what a beautiful uh, metaphor. You know, I'd never really thought of that before. Certainly I wanted to repair with past partners. But I think what's interesting is like we mistake usually on one side, one person's amicable and wants, oh, let's be friends. And the other person's like, yeah, I'll be friends with you if you want to get back in a relationship. But otherwise, like pound sand. Having a a, a pretend friendship or a one-sided friendship or amicability is different than repair and reconciliation and reverence, which is to hold space for the beautiful. You know, I remember in in explaining it to people, I was like, you need to clear first. Clear all the hurt because you're not going to be able to sit down. The closing ceremony is not a place for clearing. It's a place for grace. It's a place for reverence. It's a place for love. Yeah. And there needs to be a place for fire. Don't get me wrong, especially with betrayals, especially with all endings. Usually one person feels left. And, you know, I so wanted to go into that. (laughs) of like, she left me. You know, and I I think it's important to give context to people of like one thing that kind of we're really struggling with. 
throughout, because we were together in, in 1.0, we were together five years? Four. Four. Four and a half. Four and a half. And don't worry, we know our anniversary. When is our anniversary? Oh, we don't have one. <laughs> December. 2.0. Which one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, but that actually shows you, like, if we really needed to know a date, it's because we need security, you know, but we already have security. So the date is really irrelevant. We'll pick one just for yeah, just for, because. for celebrational purposes. When I can make you dinner, cauliflower tacos is my specialty. By specialty, it's one of the only ones I really <laughs> know how to do. So, so I think it's important to give people context as to what you were struggling with um, at the beginning-ish of our relationship, probably like seven months in. Mm, like the dream? Yeah. Yeah. So on the heels of divorce, <laughs> that was the big D, the big D, um, going through my kind of awakening journey, if you will, into who is Kai and why is she here? I made a commitment to myself after my divorce because I was so dependent on my ex-husband for everything. And it kind of just mirrored what had been modeled in my family system and throughout my lineage of women depend on men for a lot, for everything. And I resented that. Oh, boy. I My core value, one of them is freedom and liberation. And oh, I did not feel free in that dynamic in the way that it had been modeled. <laughs> How could you? And You're not free. I'm not. Right? I'm not free. It comes with a contract. It comes with a contract. And... Yeah, parts of that contract I did not enjoy. So I made a commitment to myself before my next relationship that I would have a foundation in place before entering. And for me at that time, what that meant was I was financially stable because the finances, safety, security, root chakra, survival stuff had always been kind of my hang up, if you will. I mean, like, for women, that is the removal of freedom ultimately for sure they trade the freedom to leave yeah with being taken care of yep (laughs) (laughs) so much to say on that um anyways so i i had this grand idea it's like well i'm gonna have financial freedom blah 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 intermark groves and i was on my way i was building zero health with jess and moving into that place When I reflect back, was my foundation set? No, it wasn't. Like, I didn't trust myself, like, fully. I didn't feel competent in myself because I had never actually fully stepped out of dependency Mm -hmm. and really said yes to my purpose for being here, which is now the work I do. But in reflecting, there was a lot of stuff in the way of me stepping forward (laughs) in the way that would actually provide me with that internal foundation. And I couldn't see it all at the time. So anyways, Intermark Groves, an incredible human, as we all know. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is an emotionally intelligent man. He checks all the boxes. Like, of course this is going to work, right? I was hesitant, of course, because I was like, um, the last time I was in a relationship, I lost myself to the point that I couldn't even say a sentence because I was so disconnected from who I was. 
Like, okay. and I'm not even kidding. Like, I remember being like a complete zombie and terrified to speak because I did. Like, that's how fragile. Then our relationship. No, no, no. Previously, so I was fear. I was afraid of entering into a relationship and losing myself again. Yeah, that makes total sense. I was like, oh my gosh, whatever you do, don't lose yourself. But historically, lose self, source security. Right. It's an exchange. Yeah, it's an exchange. And that's really all I knew. So entering into our relationship, I was obviously very, very cautious of that pattern showing up and existing. Luckily, there was enough of <laughs> enough growth, enough, enough um, identification of these patterns that I could see them. Let's be honest, they were still showing up large. Oh, yeah. Kai was so avoidant. I was started so avoidant. Here's how avoidant she was. I asked her to read the book attached, <laughs> and she avoided reading the book. <laughs> That's how avoidant she was. And I do have to appreciate this, because I was for sure secure when we started dating. And what's really interesting, is, so we it was like when we hung out in Oregon, that was our really like our second hangout date whatever week we hung out for like three or four days i think maybe more 10, ten days oh yeah 10 <laughs> 10 days uh and in that time i remember saying to her like hey look like this is what i'm looking for i'm really enjoying doing this with you i don't want to see other people uh what do you want like do you want this too <laughs> she sat there with like frozen and let me tell you, you have to have done enough work with your anxiety to be able to sit while the person you've just declared <laughs> what you want in a relationship is sitting there waiting to answer you. And I had to put in a real concerted effort to monitor not making that about me. Because at that point, I really did know I showed up as a good man. I was a good communicator-ish. I was, you know, so there was no d separation of like, if she doesn't choose this, it's because I'm not enough to choose. Because I had taken responsibility for my self-worth. But over time, that chips away when you stay in ambivalent situations. Yeah. Um, so. For please. sure. For sure. I love that. And I'm so happy. Ooh. Yeah. There's a lot of, yeah. And reflecting on on the chipping away piece um, is not making somebody's lack of capacity mean anything about you. Anyways, about six months into the relationship, I had a dream. Oh, those damn dreams. And, and in the dream, there was a burning house and all I heard in the dream was it's time to go. And I woke up in f frantic. Where were you? I was in, on York, your, the place. Oh yeah, the other apartment. The other okay. apartment. Previous one. Yeah. I just wasn't I, sure if you were home or in van. No, I was in van and I was like, I woke up and I was shaking. Because I was like, what the F? I found a good man. Like, we're in alignment, core values aligned. We're doing the work. What? No, absolutely not. And at the time, brilliantly enough, my mind is so good at protecting myself from descending into more dissolution and, and growth at times. I made it mean that... It was my shadow. It was my fear of intimacy. Mm, Instead right. of intuition, I made it mean this is trauma. 
Like I'm broken. I'm broken. Yeah. And how can I not choose this? Yeah. It must ex- be something wrong with me. Exactly. Which is, that's how I felt in my previous, uh, you know, it, a previous relationship, not a previous, right. most one. But I had felt that way too. Like, why can't I choose this person? What's wrong with me? But I can't choose it. So I got to, I got to pull the plug. Yeah, exactly. So of course I didn't pull the plug. Um, you did, just not. Yes. Yeah. I. Well, it's interesting because I didn't, but in some ways you're right. I did for sure. Well, I remember going for a run in Australia when we were in Australia and I came back. We were in Sydney. Oh yeah, I remember this. And I came back and I was on my run and I'm like, I'm chasing this chick and she's, and she just won't stop moving. Like she doesn't stand still. She, I step one step close. She takes a step back. Like there, it was like I was getting 90%. Yeah. And I remember coming back from the run and being like, no, like this, what has happened? And you told me about the dream. Yeah. Which was great because it at least gave me some context. Mm -hmm. But this is like a year into our relationship. Yeah, actually, just up to a year, almost. And I remember, so I think it's just important to have the context, everyone, that that fear of her leaving me because of a dream lived in the subtext of our relationship for the next three and a half years. Yeah. So although I might have felt real good about myself laying down some law, telling her what I wanted, et cetera, et cetera, the chipping away has begun or continued because I'm staying with someone who's ambivalent. And, you know, you could argue that, like, of course, Kai wanted to choose the relationship, but there was something getting in the way of her fully choosing it. Yeah. Yeah. And that internal split and conflict nearly, I mean, wrecked me. I was sick for a majority, not not a majority, but probably 50% of our relationship, our 1.0 of like, you know, the, all yeah, the ailments had I had, gas. SIBO and. <laughs> but I mean, I, that shows you the gastrointestinal. Just, like, chronic fatigue. Like it was wild. And I was, I just kept going to war. I was like, there's something wrong with me. So, you know, as you do, when you believe it's your fault and you think something's in the way of something that you really want, you do the work, you know, and that's where I got trapped big time. And it's interesting because when I reflect back, All of that work actually needed to be done and was foundational for me to even be able to honor my truth. So it's like a both and here. So I just. It was, it was beautiful because it was like, yeah, which is, there's no minimizing of like the power of us still choosing one another because we both loved each other so much that we wanted to figure it out. The challenge of the construct of the figuring it out is we were figuring out what was in your way. Which inherently creates a power dynamic of, I'm okay, I'm going to just be part of this project (laughs) that you're working on on yourself, as opposed to like, me actually staying was me avoiding my own growth. Again, you can look back in hindsight and go, well, if you had pulled the plug, would that have made all the difference and changed? Maybe. Right. But that's not what happened, is that it took us getting to a place where I was like, I literally cannot go on any longer mm-hmm. this way. Mm-hmm. And c- because I can't be with someone who can't fully choose this. Totally. And it has nothing. I love you. Yeah. But uh, this story has got to happen. And if I'm not part of your story, that's okay. I love you no matter what you choose. 
And we faced that conversation a few times, probably like three or four times in the last year of our relationship. Yeah, for sure. Where it was like, I was really getting, because I was starting to get sick. My stomach was starting to get Mm -hmm. upset. And it's so hard for the mind because the mind goes, but you love each other. Yeah. But you're, you care about each other. You can do this. And it's like, you know, that saying sometimes love isn't enough. Mm-hmm. So true. Yeah. And I think we were, you know, if we look at what we were bonded on, like, of course there's love there. And I think that's like our soul. Like, I think me and you have access to, I don't know, a different knowing of maybe our soul's purpose and connection in this lifetime at least maybe (laughs) well i think once you've cleared debris from a rock bottom of sorts you have that yeah yeah but there was still that young little girl who was sourcing from you safety security identity like internally for me and mine was a young boy who just wanted to be enough yeah wanted you to finally Mm -hmm. just i can choose this thing 100 percent. yep but what For I sure. loved is you were always honest, you know, you said, I was. like, I want to, and I just don't know why I can't. Yeah. Will you go to psychotherapy with me? Yeah. Will we do this? And it was like, yes, yes, yes. And all of those things were so important for both of our expansion. Yeah. I mean, we did, I mean, we did so much work in 1.0 of our relationship. I mean, oh, we dig, we dug into every it's recess. It's so much more peaceful now, and I don't oh, even know what to do with it. I'm like, I know. You sure you don't want to leave? Do you have another dream? <laughs> Can we? It's like you realize oh, how much, yeah. like when we first started seeing each other again, and I remember you said, I choose you, and I'm not going anywhere. And I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. I haven't been chosen. This is, ugh, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, love. Mm-hmm. And you can't, like, when I when I sit with that, it's like the woman is choosing. Like, yeah. all of me is choosing. Before, there was a part of me that couldn't choose because it, if choosing, in choosing, I would be denying. I would be fracturing. I'd be splitting. So it's like every time I continued to choose, I was splitting further away from this piece that was like, you got to go. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like self-abandonment to stay. Right. And so now- you get the relationship with me, but you are trading a relationship with yourself. Right. Right. Which is, you know, all of my life's work. (laughs) Right. But it's the ultimate, like, we were having this ongoing dialogue as the relationship was coming to a close. You know, we were- just, you know, if you're listening and like, well, did this just show up? No, there was a conscious dialogue of, okay. I remember us having a, a conversation and I was just like, I never want our relationship to be a prison. Yeah. Like, I'm, you should be able to choose this or not choose it. And love doesn't stop regardless of the choice. The relationship container closes and it changes. Yeah. But you should never feel in prison. Cause I just mm-hmm. think about how I felt, you know, in previous, you know, when I was younger of being like, I can't leave, but I don't want to be here. And it's like, yes, you can. And so it was so much like you staying doesn't actually serve me. Right. You staying is actually hurting. Yeah. Me staying mm-hmm. is hurting, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. Yeah. And you know, the dream came back last year. Um, and it started to come back 
I mean, I was getting it probably, I think three times before the container finally closed, the dream came back. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I remember saying to one of my mentors, if I don't leave, I'll never be able to trust myself or anything. Like there's no actually possibility here to choose this because this is so in the way that it'll always be in the way. And I can't not only do that to myself, but I cannot do that to Mark because I love him and he deserves somebody who can fully show up hundred percent. And at this time, for some whatever goddamn reason, it's not me. And so, okay. And you've said many things along the path that have completely rocked my internal world. Um, <laughs> um, one of them being like, if you have to stay broken in order to stay here, like you got to go. And I remember just for some reason, that line, because I, I felt so broken towards, whew, towards the end of our relationship. That when you said that, it was like, oh yeah, what if my dream time, what if my intuition, what if all of this isn't broken? What if this is something deeper? What if this is actually exactly what I need to trust in order to liberate myself from all of this? Mm -hmm. And, And for some reason, after you said that, I started to gain access again to my own intuition. I remember my power started to come back a little bit. Because, I mean, for those of you who couldn't see in at the very end, and I know you could, Mark, and you're the only one who really did, except for a few other sisters, it's like I was so sick. I mean, I was throwing up. I was, like, trying to get the pain out of my stomach, remember? Mm -hmm. And I remember eventually just hearing, like, stop hooking in. Stop hooking into the old dynamic. It's not. It's not. It's not working. Then I just started talking and sharing. Like every time I would just trust the intuition, I'd name it. And I'd just be like, this is true. And this is true. And one of my girlfriends at that time, she's like, what's true for you right now? And I was like, right now, what's true is I have to go. And I don't know why, but I have to. And she's like, great. My allegiance is to truth. And I will support you in living in alignment with your truth always. I don't care about anything else. And I was like, oh, because no one in my life had ever said those words. You know, I'd been in so many codependent dynamics where me staying complicit in who I thought I needed to be was the only reason why that relationship was existing. And so for me to, to hear that was like, oh, you'll still love me if I honor my truth? You'll still be here? You'll actually support me in honoring my truth? Because previously. Because previously, I mean, I lost everything. When you honored yourself. When I honored myself through not the most conscious ways. I mean, at that time, there was no conscious way to move forward. And sometimes you don't have a, sometimes the universe gives you the rupture. For sure. It's not in the way you want. Oh, for sure. (laughs) But it's there. For sure. And now looking at, you know, the way our 1.0, closed it healed all of it it healed all of the times i didn't honor myself or how it healed all of the times that i wasn't honored and loved unconditionally for choosing myself because not only did you choose grace in that moment my sisterhood all of my girlfriends that i had cultivated in our relationship and a lot of the friends that you and i that you introduced me to 
also stood by me, which was not something I'd experienced in the past. Like I wasn't exiled. That was so deeply healing. And I have so much gratitude for you for for holding grace, even though I know that was hard at times, especially with previous, you know, your wounding of like not being chosen, which valid, you know, but you still chose grace. You still didn't invite other people to not talk to me. Like you were like, of course, talk like, you know what I mean? Well, so, so much not about, hey, do we choose between Kai and Mark? It's yeah. like you choose both. <laughs> right. There's no allegiance here. There's not sides. There's only one side and it's love. Yeah. You know, I would always, you know, we said this in our container of like, the truth matters more than anything. And I think of that line from Glennon Doyle shares in her book Untamed from Liz Gilbert, that there's no such thing as one way liberation. And amen to that. It's Gospel like, to my soul. Right. Because I could choose grace because I had chosen myself. So like it didn't, I didn't feel unchosen by you because I had finally reclaimed myself. I yeah. finally recognized that in the depths of the rubble was actually me and yeah. I was whole and I was more than fine. Mm -hmm. But I met, uh, I was just in so much stillness after we, our relationship ended that it was, it was just so beautiful to be oh, on the edges though, you know, like 2020 has been 2019 and 2020, 20, the end of 2019 and 2020 have really taught me so much about just like how much I haven't noticed. And that when you, when you allow yourself to only live at 50% capacity or 60% capacity in one area of your life, it must make every area of your life go to that because you can't ignore one part of your life and then hold your eyes open in another. You can't, it's impossible just from a self-preservation perspective. Yeah. And you know, I, when our, cause so many of the questions that we got that I got when our relationship ended and then when our relationship started to reunite, was like, how do I get back together with my ex? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I constantly say to people, like, it's not, you never get back together. You only get together moving forward. Yeah. And you have to actually allow the relationship to end. You have to actually mourn it. Because, you know, it's like that line that Esther Perel talks about, that, like, get divorced and stay together. Like, start a second marriage. Start a second relationship which you don't have to go through, you know, it doesn't mean you have to take seven months, but maybe you need to take seven months. But either way, what occurs is the old container has to die because the old container has different contracts and different people and different agreements. And when I say contracts, I mean like lessons. For sure. And if you're growing from them, then you actually can't go backwards. You can't get back together because it will require younger versions of you, less wise versions of you, uh, Absolutely. You know? Yeah, I mean, our rupture. <laughs> I, you know, life always cracks me up. Our rupture, I thought I had it, you know, I we've done a lot of work. Like, I thought I had some stuff figured out. 
Oh, yeah. And me then too. when Argentina ruptured, I mean, it sent me on a descent. I was like, whoa. Like, I thought I s- saw clearly what was impacting me and what had been internalized. And then it was like, oh, no. The burning house is actually this whole macro system you've been, been living in for thousands of years on this planet. Like, I mean, I was going into colonization, patriarchy, um, racism, and all of these other ways, all of these other systems, how they had been internalized within me, within my DNA, within my um, epigenetic programming, within my lineage. And whoa, babe, like rocked me. Like I was like, oh, shoot. No wonder I couldn't show up fully in that relationship and choose it. I had this whole system in the way, this whole operating system in the way of being able to choose love and intimacy. Because I had I had still been living, like when I reflect just from a body perspective, I had been living, before I met you, it was like living from the neck up, completely in my head, self-preservation, constantly just hypervigilant, very much in the freeze fawn response of what do I need to manage around me in order to source security and safety within me? And because of that massive disconnect from body, from heart, from gut, from womb, um, I was carrying so much grief, so much grief, so much anger from having to do that, from having to live that way. And through our relationship, it really was like a descent into heart because you created enough safety for me to actually come home to my emotions, to actually come home to my body. And then with the fracturing of our container, it was a massive descent into not only, again, starting to trust my gut again, but also going deeper into my womb, my, my sexual energy. And how had that, had that been distorted? And how had that been violated or denigrated from having lived in a system or society that was built upon, one, the exploitation, the denigration, and the complete disregard for the feminine. And I'm not just talking about female. I'm talking Mm -hmm. about the feminine in all. Mm -hmm. Our emotions, our flesh, our sensuality, our sustainability, flesh, emotions, connection, empathy. And I mean, it really woke me up. I was like, oh, wow, here's layer 2000 billion um, for you to start dismantling. And, you know, I went into a state of dissolution. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so much bigger than I thought it was. I just thought it was a couple wounds from, you know, attachment patterns with mom and shit. We're good to go. But no, it was like, no, actually what's in the way, not only on top of that, but everything that continues to disconnect, pull out our energy. Um, and violate us, you know? And and for me and my purpose on this planet, as someone who's here to reclaim the feminine principle and reconnect us all to Mother Earth, like, we're pretty far off from that right now. Without our rupture, I would have never gone into the descent of that. Yeah, I mean, I think without our, a number of things. One, I learned more emotional fluency through our container, too. Through, yeah. one, the love for it, the safety of it, and, you know, I remember us both sort of co-regulating once where we got into a, uh, an argument 
and we were both laying on the bed and neither of us could talk. <laughs> so we're like both sort of getting back into our window of tolerance, uh, you know, insert 30 minutes later and then, you know, finding the courage to just utter a word for me. And now being able to, you know, for the most part, utter a word at any time and us having created that container. But when you talk about the rupturing of the container, then being the rupturing of the unconscious allegiance to the systems. And I think about that for me, a lot of the grief was that I didn't have to think about those things. So mm. one, the acknowledgement that I played a role in your dissolution or giving away of power, like you needed help. I had the value to help you whatever, totally unconsciously, that then I'm the savior, I'm the hero. My male fragility doesn't have to deal <laughs> with the fact that uh, I'm also on a journey back to my heart for sure yeah. and on a journey to compassion and empathy and understanding. But without our relationship and without it ending, but without our relationship as a, as a whole experience and you, I wouldn't have gone to this whole other level, which that really, by, of course, no, by its perfect design, by no, no um, yeah. surprise, that joined with Black Lives Matter, that joined with this decolonization, decolonization mm -hmm. uh, earth, taking care of mother nature, relationship to forests, trees, yeah. planet, you know. Right relationship for sure. Yeah. And recognizing that through my own position and, and, and that both being as a male, as a white male, as a straight male, I mean, that's essentially what privilege is, is you have the privilege to not have to think about a bunch of things that other people have to think about to survive. Yeah. Because the whole system is designed for me to be lazy about having to be conscious of my own grief, my own severance from my own soul. For sure. You know, you can't be unkind or controlling or demanding of another human without being disconnected from your own empathic. You can't step on an ant without. For sure. You know, and without being disconnected from yourself. And we learn that, you know, we learn that. And it was through being able to say like, oh, wow, when I paid for things, I actually took your freedom and I created security for myself. Not consciously. I wasn't no. like, hey, let me pay for more rent than you so that <laughs> you're here in your mind. Yeah, yeah. It was like, this is my job. This right. is my role. Right. But not realizing that in that I'm feeling resentful. I'm oh, feeling yeah. pain. I'm feeling unseen. I'm feeling like, why the fuck does my worth live in my ability to provide? Why doesn't it just exist because I'm a man? And when you said the disconnection from the feminine, the feminine principle, it's like really toxic masculinity, which I, I don't like that word because toxicity creates shame, which then doesn't allow us to turn towards it and look at it. Right. The, but I know we're mad at the masculine. So let's, but I, I think what was important is really toxic masculinity or immature or unintegrated masculinity is the absence of femininity is the, is the absence of connection to heart. Right. Which is, we think like, Oh, well then, and I see this on Instagram, I'll get a comment or YouTube. Sometimes it's like, I got one from a British dude 
who he said, you're a real soy boy. I had to Google it. I'd never heard that insult before. Because <laughs> so soy has estrogen. I guess I'm an, est- I'm a, I'm an estrogen plant. I'm so feminine. But it's like, it has to be this. Just Either or. It has to be that I'm either yeah. a big bearded guy who's jacked. Or, who, yeah, who's a warrior who's yeah. connected to my balls. Or I have to be this guy who's hyper feminine and hyper this and hyper that rather than as Francis Weller, I remember said when I was like, what do you think about the construct of masculinity? He said, well, the last thing we need is another definition of masculinity. Totally. And he said, there are many masculinities and all of them are valid. Hmm. Everyone you embody as an individual is valid because you embody it. Yeah. And I thought, now that's the fluidity and flexibility we need, you know, to say like, it is your masculinity is actually separate from everything. It's separate from your emotionality. It's separate from all of those things. They're not connected, but we've connected them because, you know, then we can shame it out of you because if we had to have compassion for the feminine or other human beings, then we wouldn't be able to, or the planet, we wouldn't yeah. be able to do what we do. Yeah. And here's That's the deal. Rant. No, but it's, I think it's an important one. And, and, you know, I always appreciate, hearing how these systems have impacted you in the masculine in this experience. I think it's a very, very important conversation to be had because no one is winning under this system. And we might think, you know, I always used to say the people at the top are actually the most miserable and they don't even realize it because they're so disconnected because you have to be. They have so much stuff distracting them. They're flying private so they don't have to deal with pain. Right. And so, you know, privilege, and I love this definition of privilege, it always kind of comes through the lens of cultural somatics and Resma Minikin's work, is privilege is a desensitization. Mm-hmm. It's a mechanism to desensitize people with privilege from actually seeing the truth of what's happening around them, the pain around them. And, oh man, as a white woman who is incredibly financially privileged in my family system, I can honestly say that that is exactly how I <laughs> related to that word. I mean, it completely disconnected me from what is on the ground happening on this planet and from seeing it clearly. And now with the increase of capacity and luckily the rupture of our container, I mean, to push, it, it was so much pain that it just like kind of like cracked open all the armor that had been put on in my life in order to protect myself from feeling pain. Cause as a highly sensitive being and missed, most of us are majority, um, the pain kind of catalyzed me to not put on more armor. Cause I'm, I'm done putting on armor. I'm not here to live under 50 layers of armor anymore. Luckily it's safe enough for us to start taking off the layers of armor. Mm-hmm. Um, but it started to wake me up to what's actually happening and feeling what's actually happening for a majority of the people on this planet. And that is incredibly painful to wake up to. The amount of grief that we have to grieve as a collective and individuals is immense right now. It's immense. Like as what has happened to us living under these systems is so horrendous, so traumatizing, and so not okay. And still happening. Still happening. It's like, well, I think about what I woke up to sort of collectively through this experience. And I mentioned all the different mechanisms, our relationship, but then all the things that are going on in the world, including COVID. And 
I was talking to Kelly Germain, who we did an anti-racism course with her and Kelly Elizabeth. We did a course with them, which was called Orientation. And I remember saying to her, like, I thought I was awake to suffering. I thought I was awake to pain. I thought I was noticing other people's pain. But through the actual deepening of my own, through the grief that really brought me down that, you know, what I love about grief, that's a weird thing to say, but what I love about it is that it demands to be felt. It it literally creates roots that grab into you, or maybe you actually release the roots and they go down into the ground. That's actually what happens. Let me think about that. <laughs> and they don't want you to move. That like the state of the darkening is actually humans wouldn't have that if it wasn't a place we need to go, you know? And, and when I went into it, because I increased my own capacity for grief and suffering and like really sat in my own, didn't go anywhere. Normally I would have gone to the club, had some drinks, but you know, I didn't do that. I didn't do that because I knew the work was so much more important. I knew that my soul was demanding me to learn. This was a learning opportunity. And I remember saying to Kelly Germain, like, you can't be paying attention and not be suffering because you can't watch the news. You can't drive down the street. You can't even see what you think are okay families and couples or whatever that just, and not, and realize that a lot of them are actually in relationships that are created upon this same power dynamic and not by anyone's fault, but by a design, by systemic systemic hereditary patterns and you you've experienced the same suffering you had when you were in those which is not to conflate that with projecting that onto someone else but rather recognizing when you hear someone talk about their relationship disconnection or whatever it is that you're like oh my god i know that pain or something similar and man it has been the greatest gift i i never thought that being so rooted in sadness and grief uh, would be the gateway to actually recognizing what is beautiful about life. Like not beauty for its sort of narcissistic qualities or it's like that's beautiful because we're taught that's beautiful, but rather the beauty that exists in the complexity, in the darkness, mm. in the totality, not in the nice car, you know, but I love vintage cars because they have that totality. They're grumpy. They're, they have a patina sometimes. I don't like when they're perfect. I like when they have, you know, a little paint rubbed off. When they, they just show that character that I, I think I love them now that I think about it so much because I feel like them. Mm. You know, that we discard what is old. In the human experience, we, we discard aging. We, especially in women. <laughs> oh, we just love ending in patriarchy, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> How patriarchy has continued to uh, condition and weaponize women against themselves. It's really quite tragic. And aging being probably one of the most, I mean, heartbreaking things to witness in our culture. And and for myself included, I mean, I've, I've, I have a long journey with my relationship to the patriarchal perfect standard mm -hmm. of who do I need to be? What do I need to look like? I can't have any wrinkles. And, and luckily, um, and again, 
live your life, no judgment on what you choose to do with your own body. But luckily I've gotten to a place where I can see and make what feels like, you know, in this current moment is informed decisions and like what's actually driving this. Is this coming from a place of, of unworthiness, of shame around what I need to be, who I need to look like. And what beauty is. And what beauty is. Yeah. Like right? It's, it's if we, if we adhere or it's also being able to recognize your biology, you know, your biology is driving you also to adhere to some beauty standards or, I mean, as what you're attracted to, you know, I think it, do you know what I mean by that? Like, I think, you know, when a woman is attracted to a powerful man or when a man is attracted to a younger woman, that these are both normal biological desires, systemically programmed desires too. One biological being uh, fertility. Yeah. Fertility, youth, uh, but also power survival men, you know, and, and I think what's, I think it would be important to have you back on to deconstruct <laughs> all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think being able to recognize what is your biological drive, but also being able to, it's important that we recognize what standards of beauty we have inherited and been marketed to. For sure. And that being both men and women and everything in between. Because for me, I mean, in my early 20s, I made fun of my friend when we were in our late teens that he was losing his hair, that he had a couple cul-de-sacs on the top of his head. And then I started to lose my hair faster than him <laughs> in my mid-20s. Karma. Yeah, total karma. <laughs> and Just I started to take a hair loss drug for probably like three or four years, maybe more, maybe five. And I remember really? thinking to myself as I was awakening to my choices, I was like, every time I take this pill, I am investing in a belief of what I have to look like to be beautiful and to be desirable. Yeah. And I was like, I no longer can actually take this because then I maintain my complicit nature consciously, which is different than unconsciously being co complicit. That's why it's not to shame anyone doing it. Right. But I was co now conscious of the investment I was making that was nothing is free. I was affecting a biological system in my body. And it's crazy to me that I didn't, I was told, it was, oh, no, the side effects are minimal, blah, 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 blah. There's always a side effect. Nothing is free. One of the side effects is the actual uh, treatment of what the positive outcome is. And so it was interesting to assess like the deconstruction for myself too of what I was committed to. I mean, I loved Men's Health magazine and I wanted to look like the cover model on a Men's Health. I was obsessed with that. I worked out with that obsession, not realizing that that's that same level of perfection that my desirability was in that, which is separate from my desire for fitness or health or feeling good in my body. But am I doing it to feel good in my body so I look good in it so you'll choose me? You know, which is totally different than I'm doing it from an act of self-love and investment in myself. Oh, I hear you. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I, I mean, oh, such a long journey with my relationship to body, to beauty, to image, to, to food, to, yeah, to enhancement, like all of it, yeah, same. like clothing, like everything. It was like, so again, so external. What, 
where am I sourcing my validation and worth? I'm sourcing it through the validation of that man looking at me, of that spin instructor looking at me, uh, of, you know. specific. Well, yeah, no, because I actually, you know, (laughs) speaking of the fracture and kind of the the pathway out of of coming back home to myself and trusting, and um, I did choose to go on what I call a man talks. And so, like, removing men (laughs) from my life. I did a woe talks. Oh, yeah. And to be honest with you, I highly recommend it. I thought, I really did think, I, you know, it's so funny. You think you know, but there's such a difference between knowing it intellectually and actually embodying it and creating a container around it where you put a start date, you put an end date, and you're like, for this amount of time, I'm going to enter a container where I'm not seeking male attention, where I'm not going to spin class so that the spin instructor can hit on me, where I'm not seeking men on Instagram or texting men or, you know, whatever, like all of the ways. And for me, that was a very important piece of my journey because of how much I was sourcing from external validation from men and safety and security through through beauty, but through attention. Yeah, Even, even my v- validation of my existence was coming through being witnessed or being seen. Like that's how deep it went. That's so crazy. I didn't think it was that deep. It's crazy to detox from all of those things because then you're left with the only possibility, which is to create your own validation. Right. right? Like no longer do I have anything able to source from. Now I must birth it. And, And it was wild. I was terrified of setting that container. I was terrified of removing what parts of me believed, especially the little young parts, plus the the parts that had been inherited from my lineage uh, down the matrilineal line, was we source our safety security from the masculine, from men around us. So if I remove that, what I'm saying or what I'm inviting into is not only to witness and hold all of those parts who don't believe that I'm capable or possible or that it is possible to step into my power, to step into my truth, to step into self-sourcing, but I'm grieving the pattern that has kept the women in my family unconsciously enslaved to a system that required them to give up part of themselves, to stay small, to stay silent, to self-abandon in order to source safety and security. And under patriarchy, this has been a common narrative that most, if not all women, have had to examine. And to be honest with you, in North America, we obviously have a much stronger foundation of being able to outgrow some of these patterns. But a lot of women on this planet are still stuck very much in that dynamic. Amen. I mean, I think of like one of the most controversial Instagram videos I've ever done is, uh, is it a red flag if a man doesn't pay on a first date? And I think <laughs> so about strong. how reactive everyone was, mostly women to how important actually it was that he did, which is separate from the act of inviting someone in kindness and all that stuff. Yeah. But that like their worth was dependent on them paying. And I only mentioned that because I think that's a fascinating, just like micro behavior 
that we like. We're like, but it's nice and it's chivalrous. We have all these narratives about why it's important. Yeah. And we don't think about that the act of saying like, hey, do you want to split it? Might actually be a green flag to an invitation to someone else's power, which, oh my gosh, I'm sure listening people are like, fuck, that's not a green flag. You know, I get Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Because my whole purpose of that conversation is to say, start to think about it. Just start to think about why you're reactive about this. Start to think about why you like that part of patriarchy, but not other parts, which as men too, why do I like paying so I can get power? So you'll feel taken care of. And so there's this exchange, right? There's this exchange, especially, you know, as you were saying, like women traded, they played small to get that thing while men traded being witnessed and seen and emotional as well to be that power position. Yeah. And so, as you said earlier, women had to a hundred percent for safe. survival. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I think we're in this, what occurred in our relationship fracturing is this equanimity that said, like, you show up for you. I'll show up for me. I'll show up for you when you need me and you'll show up for me when I need you, but I won't do it at, the cost of you being able to step into yourself, you being able to step into your own power. Like I think about the more powerful you become, the more powerful the relationship container is. And separate from the more powerful I become. But what occurs, the more powerful you become, is the invitation for me to grow, to change. Yeah. And I'm curious, like, because we're using the word power a lot in this conversation. And I think... If one word has ever been more distorted, <laughs> it is power. Um, yeah, true. Because when I s- hear the word power, if it was a sto- through a historical lens, it would have been about financial or yeah. status or very much external. And now when I sit with that word, and I'd be curious about your relationship to the word, for me, power is quiet. It's silent. like, it is so deeply an internal thing of like, I am a hundred percent. Okay. No matter what happens around me. Like for me, that is power. That is a deep knowing, a deep connection to self, to soul, to something, to mother earth, to, to community, to purpose, to, to life. And that doesn't come from power over. It is power with, with connection, with reverence Mm. to all. Power is connection. Power is sovereignty. Mm -hmm. Power. I think about power being those things and it being the correlation to truth. Mm. Yeah. So like if you're in truth, you're in power. Oh, yeah. Love that. You know. Oh, that's a beautiful way of looking at it, actually, from a from a life force perspective of the more integrated and aligned you are, the more powerful, truly powerful you are. There's like a, a reverence or sorry, a, there's something like a, there's a vibration or a recognition of the way in which your words are spoken that is different. It has a resonance. Resonance, that's the word. Yeah. And it feels... One more embodied. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not, it's coming from a regulated place. Mm-hmm. It's not coming from a place of dysregulation of like. The desire to get something. Yeah. It's very, you know what it is? It's clean and it's clear. Yeah. There's That's no energetic hooks. It's just, this is my truth. And 
period. End of story. You know, like I'm not looking to manipulate. I'm not looking to control. I'm not looking to force or coerce or um, manage you or anything in your or anything in the reality around me in order to source safety and security. It's kind of like that thought that if you share a feeling about something, I don't, me agreeing with your feeling doesn't validate it. Right. Like it stands alone as an experience for you. And my experience of your experience is separate. For sure. Right. Well, I think on that note, everyone, relationship to power, patriarchy, fractures, rebirths, rock bottoms, connection. <laughs> is this us closing? Just so I can yeah, tune in. I think so. Um, there's so much that hasn't been said actually about the reunion. And maybe that's a 2.0 to this conversation around how to not only like what is the pathway to self-belonging and being so anchored in self that as you move forward in your life, you no longer have to fracture or self-abandon or fall back into previous intergenerational patterns um, to to relate or to source anything externally. Yeah. There's so much in that journey that, that I, I'd like to speak to again. So with that being said, I am launching right now currently a 12-week course to support women in this process to re-anchor into themselves and unhook from codependent patterns that are are keeping them disconnected from their body, their truth, their desires, their power, their sovereignty, so that they can come back home to self, to soul, and really build that internal foundation that is necessary for deep, meaningful, and intimate relationships. And that's not just an internal, it is an internal process, but it also is a healing of, of cultural wounds, of, of our wounds with women, of our mother wound, of the father wound, of the patriarchy wound, of of examining how we've internalized and how we've been swimming in in toxic waters and to stop blaming ourselves and thinking it's all our fault and to start actually excavating the poison from having been swimming in these waters so that we can start naming what is true and what is real and and what it is that we are looking to stand in alignment with, but also to build moving forward or to cultivate moving forward in our lives, in our relationships, in our communities. So first off, thank you for coming on the podcast and having this conversation with me and sharing with everyone who's listening. And we will, you know, we got it. We can't give them everything in the first <laughs> podcast. Just, you got to keep them wanting more. So we will be back. I know. I just. You let us know. Um, first off, what further details you might want as a listener of what we've journeyed through and where, you know, people are obviously interested in understanding women are interested in understanding how to do this. Where do they find this course that you just mentioned? Yeah. The best place to find me is, is on Instagram at, at being is beautiful. And from there, my website, kylamcbeth.com. And the link is in your bio? For the... the link is in my bio, babe. What's it called? Anchored. Anchored. 12 weeks, starting January 11th. 
2021. Here we are. Oh, shit. It's right away. Yeah. Oh, well, get signed up if you want to unhook some of those patterns. <laughs> no time like the present. I'm going to have to create one for the male side of that. It's necessary. We actually do need, as you know, and we've had extensive conversations around this, is there needs to be safe spaces for women to to grieve and to be seen in their rage, to be seen in in their totality of experience around waking up to this. And the same goes for men. And I'm so grateful that you continue to step into that work to support not only yourself, but other men in seeing what has been hidden. Well, I think there's so much anger towards men that there's not really a lot of safety for men to, at least in a on a mass scale, to experience grief also because it's correlated to a lack of masculinity. So we're sort of, you know, we're in a double bind. Like the very thing the world needs from us is our emotionality, but the very thing that's robbed from us in the first moments of our lives and our whole lives is our emotionality. Yeah. And so it is an act of rebellion to reclaim that. Yeah. And I hear that and I, and I, hundred percent get that. And I think, you know, from the feminine perspective and, and something you've done so well in our reunion is there also needs to be a space of accountability. Yeah. And, agreed. you know, one of the reasons why I feel so safe with you in doing this dismantling work is you have always taken accountability for shit that sucks to take accountability for. Humble pie. You know, like you keep serving up the humble pie and you keep creating space for me and and I, maybe this is a continued conversation but you know in the reunion i had a lot of rage i was angry at I'd men like to uh, second that i was had a lot of rage i was so right and we do as we kind of enter deeper into our bodies we start to realize how much we've been carrying mad, and mad at that spin instructor mad at me no i was just so angry <laughs> because I just kept seeing the, the perpetuation of a pattern that had kept me mm -hmm. stuck for so long, replaying in front of me that I was like, dear women, stop putting men on pedestals. They are not your effing savior. Like it is time to put them <laughs> down off the pedestal and it's time to come home. Stop sourcing shit or sourcing safety, security, validation, worth anything from the world around you. It is time for us to remember who we are, why we're here, and and really step into such a deeper integrity because I do believe that it it is with women remembering a lot of this to stand and hold that fierce position of of love, of integrity, of of truth in order to catalyze a lot of what has catalyzed the liberation that is necessary for us to climb out of this darkness, truly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I remember when you brought the rage and we were sitting outside in the yep. backyard. Oh, I remember. She's like, I have some things to clear <laughs> for, the, for the masculine, not even just our relationship. But it was like a collective clearing. And I just sat there like... My hair parted from the wind and her voice of power. <laughs> but I sat there and I was like, this has some to do with me, but not everything to do with me. And 
You know, I, I think of those things as like, what an honor. What an honor to be the space that my fragility is, that I've sat in it enough that I can hold what is true when it has to do with my own behavior. And I recognize that as gold, like gold for my own growth, that when I do have defensiveness or a trigger or the need to devour a humble pie, that in eating that humble pie is actually my expansion. You know, that that I don't put on weight, I put on wisdom. Hmm. That's good. I love that. That was good. Yeah, and I think our relationship has, if I re- reflect and continue to examine it, I believe one of the purposes of our relationship is to continue to dismantle name and and bring light to all of the all of the wounds and all of the shadow patterns that keep men and women and I know I'm speaking gender specific here because that's our experience but that keep us stuck in outdated trauma patterns that are no longer going to serve us as we move into liberated love right right absolutely and you think like what's the classic response that we have internally and sometimes externally is, but I was just doing what I was told. I was just doing what I was supposed to do. I was just taking on the role I was taught. And it's like, cool. And there should be a lot of grief in acknowledging that. Like that defends why you got here. But what are we going to do now? And then, you know, you've always been the most beautiful witness um, and always invited me to be a better man and our love has done that. Our relationship has done that. That my love for you has constantly just been like, well, I guess I'm going to this edge too. I guess I'm going <laughs> to this edge too. And it's been a, a real journey in the reunion to learn to trust what you say. You know, because I think of our previous container, you're like, yeah, I choose this. Yeah. But there that wasn't fully true. And I knew that. And so staying was self-abandoning. And so there has really been, uh, you've been really gentle with that too. The recognition of that being true and not defending it, but being like, yeah, that's real. And that was hard. And, um, I recognize that you need to, I need to rebuild trust with you. And you need to rebuild trust with me because it's the other side is like, am I going to take your power? Am I going to, you know what I mean? So thank you. I love you. Mm -hmm. I love you too. Such an honor walking this journey with you. Amen. So much. Hey, woman. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, woman. I'm just kidding. Hey, woman. (laughs) But like, we should use like a hoe or something. Maybe that's, I don't want to culturally appropriate, but we need a new one. Um. Glory be. Yeah. No. no. May the Lord open. <laughs> no, not praise We've me. been watching uh, Handmaid's Tale, which is if you want to go into the root of suffering and pain, just watch that show. Uh, well, thank you for being here. I love you. I thank you. I appreciate you. Everyone go check out Kai's course, Anchored. That is on both her website, kylemcbeth.com. And that being is beautiful. We will have a 2.0 conversation, a 3.0, a 4.0. We'll do it all. So appreciate you tuning in. Please share this episode. 
Go to wherever you listen to this and subscribe so you don't miss one and leave it a five-star review and a written review, please. Much love. So much love.